Here we go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Diana Wiley, your host of Love, Lust, and Laughter. Well, lots of people will agree with this. We're living in anxious times. Uh, we've got, there are expectations, all kinds of expectations. There's fatigue and negative feelings and, oh, maybe a damaged self-esteem. They're all working together. And so overwhelmed, people can can grow resentful and anxious. We're going to focus on anxiety and depressed. Oh, and maybe snappish too. <laughs> Here to help us sort all of this out is my uh, guest, Dr. Ashley Mater, who was my guest three weeks ago when we talked about NRE, New Relationship Excitement. Um, so you are chairing... Um, a conference. Tell us about the conference because it's it's. This is what led us to talk about this today to have this as a topic. Yes. Um. So I um, a, apart from my own private practice, I also work um at the Bowen Center in Washington D.C. And it we're chairing a conference. It's called our Fall Fundamentals Conference. So it's a very intro conference to Bowen theory but it is about the topic is parenting during anxious times. So I'm speaking, um, of course, about sexuality and the importance of that when a person is stressed and anxious and a couple connecting um, and not being able, not projecting that on to children, but there will be topics, intertopics on anxiety in the nuclear family. There's going to be, um, a lot of different type of Bowen concepts will also be discussed throughout the day. There's going to be a topic on um, adoption and adoptive families. So there's about, it, it lasts from about 9.30 to 3.30. It's all on Zoom and you can find the conference and the, the schedule and register at thebowencenter.org. And will this uh, conference, if people can't make it on September 30. 30th and I assume that 9 30 to 3 30 yeah it's eastern time eastern for time. those listening uh so will it be available later can people is it archived can people listen it, later it should be we are still trying to figure that out so I okay. can let you know after the show so you can put that in the show notes oh perfect perfect so repeat the um the, the link which where they can find out is it bowen center yep the bowencenter.org so it's the Bowen. Yep, the Bowen Center. Got it. Got it. So you're going. You're talking about parenting, anxiety, and differentiation of self. Yes. What does sex have to do with it? That's part of your title. Yes. yes. And of course, we're going to talk about the latter because that's what we do. What does sex have to do with all of this? You know, I, I think. I mean, I think it's. In some ways, it's got everything to do with it. Um, and what I have seen in couples and is that when stress happens, when anxiety happens, and I mean, we've lived in some anxious times. I'm not just talking about COVID, but just anxious times in general. A lot of times, the one thing that happens with couples is the sex stops. That's and very true. I've certainly seen that reflected in my practice. And I mean, there are a few people, I think like maybe two to 6%, they call them redliners, that anxiety actually makes them want more sex. Yeah. Um, and then there's the flatliners where like the tiny bit of anxiety makes them like hard break for sex. So, um, and there's more people in that category, maybe not complete flatliners, but um, there are more people that stress and anxiety makes them not want sex when actually sex can be a really fun way of like getting rid of that anxiety even if it's just momentarily and it's a good way for a couple to connect it's a beautiful way and and of course it helps uh, it helps with one's health and one's immune system um and we, we've talked in the past because dr ashley's been on my show Oh, I'd say four or five times, maybe. And we've talked about how 
how good sex is for your health. Um, and can we talk a little bit about that or especially the anxiety part? Because we really do want to promote the feel good hormones, which can can help a lot with anxiety. Yes, I mean, it, the, the feel good, I mean, it will like the release of oxytocin can make stress feel less. The other mm -hmm. thing too to um, keep in mind is a lot of times when in a, with a couple that has children, when that disconnect and distance starts happening, it's not like the anxiety goes away. I mean, and being anxious, I, I always tell my clients, I'm like, you might as well become friends with your anxiety. It's not going anywhere. Yes, that's such a good suggestion, Ashley. And so if people could a become more friends with their anxiety because it's not like by distancing and disconnecting from your or from your your partner the anxiety is still there but where does it go it can't just just so the distance it can be stuck in the distance it can also be projected onto a child and when it's projected onto a child that's when you know a person might be like oh my child's having anxiety or depression and they need to go to therapy when really in the big scheme of things if the couple would just work on their relationship it would ease up that pressure on the child there can be a, a more of a focus on the child when the parents themselves are anxious so it can be more of a focus on how the child is doing in school or how they're behaving or you know all these just an over focus on the child is some some parents put their anxiety into the child and then the child starts having behavior problems and different things. So if the couple could ease up and focus in on themselves, go on those date nights, make that time to reconnect, that can make all the difference. It can make all the difference. And um, I've counseled my clients to, to see this as an opportunity. You know, you'd like, some of them would really like to reclaim their pre-pandemic life but of course, change doesn't happen overnight. So I suggest that instead of being critical of yourselves, see this as an opportunity to connect, kind of much like you did when you were first getting involved, you know, what we talked about three weeks ago, <laughs> NRE, new relationship. I want to say excitement. Is that? No. It, it's energy. Energy. energy yep. That's right. New relationship energy. Yeah. So seeing it as an opportunity, and maybe it's not going to be quite the same. So you you might want to talk and with your partners and thoughtfully consider how the next chapter of your love affair can be even better. Maybe it'll even, even be better. But, the, but talking about it is essential, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's what happens. A lot of times that communication gets lost. And we kind of talked about that with it, about new relationship energy is that people mm -hmm. stop communicating or they're so afraid to have conflict that they avoid hard or even just seemingly difficult. It, it could, it might not even be actual hard conversations, but the person experiences it as hard of difficult conversation because they're afraid to rock the boat. And so when this continues to happen, that's when we talked about that last time, like that resentment and contempt and yes. or the more the projection onto the children. Um, conflict is not bad. I know a lot of people find it so scary and I hear that, but conflict in and of itself is not bad. It actually, um, in Bowen theory, what I study is conflict is another way of dealing with anxiety in a relationship and it's one of the best ways in some ways as long as it's healthy fighting fair conflict that it actually does not that much people think it does damage to the children but if if a couple can fight fair it actually is really good for the child to see that and again it eases up that projection process on the child the conventional wisdom is that you shouldn't really fight in front of your children, that that's likely to produce more anxiety in the child or the child doesn't understand some of the their parents' uh, uh, experiences because they're young. <laughs> and so how, how would, how would um, you as a Bowen person talk back to that? 
obviously and in, is in something to think about is like how a person how the conflict is happening happening how loud it gets how um there i think there's certain things that personally that you know it's better to have those types of conflicts behind closed doors mm-hmm. but i also think that if a child can see that you know their parents are ha- handling this and that sometimes grown-ups have arguments but that doesn't or disagreements but that doesn't mean that the love is any different for the child or for each other mm-hmm. or for each other i think it can also reassure the children if the parents are more physically demonstrative and affectionate Absolutely. uh that's that's why i suggest and and you know this, uh, it's even in my book, Love in the Time of Corona, This when when you see each other again after your workday, whether it's at home or uh, out of, at, not at home, that you greet each other with a seven second kiss and a 15 second hug, which can help with the transition. But the child also gets to see that, that their parents love each other, that they're connecting this way. And often children want to be part of it I've heard this many times from my clients. Uh, they they run, oh, they want run and want to be part of the, and then have a family hug. Although I recently heard the opposite from a couple I'm seeing and uh, their one and a half year old, when they started doing this at my recommendation, because they had, they were in a almost sexless marriage, uh, the, the little child ran ran and said, no, 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 and then physically tried to separate her her parents. I, I mean, and I've heard that with couples as well, um, and and I think that's when a couple can say, like, you know, this is because like we love each other, and now we want to have you in this as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the other thing with conflict is if mm-hmm. a child can witness healthy conflict they too might learn how to have healthy conflict with their partners. If you think about it, mm-hmm. when parents are raising their children, they're raising their children to be someone else's lover and partner. You don't think about that with your five-year-old when you're raising them, but it's true. Eventually that five-year-old will be a 28-year-old dating, getting married maybe. And so you're raising someone else's partner. You know, that's such a good point. And, uh, you know, I know that that uh, the Bowen family systems theory does not talk about attachment, uh, but it's one of my favorite lenses to look at relationships. And of course, if you have the secure attachment where the parents are available to the child and responsive, but also modeling affectionate behavior. I mean, I've said this before on this program. I got really lucky because my parents were affectionate with each other. I remember I remember seeing my dad come up behind my mom and she's standing in front of the stove cooking and he kind of pats her butt and then puts his arms around her um, and she kind of laughs and it was really healthy for for us as children to see that and to to get the affection and and from our parents and to witness that in their in our parents too well and i think the other thing too is like not only kids witnessing that but when kids know that you know their parents are going to have a date night and how important that is um and, and I mean, I look at this in the same way, and I've I've heard some of my clients talk about how you know you know they might have a you know a girls' night out, and their child knows it's like oh that's where mommy goes drinks wine with her friends yeah and and that's okay like it's just like that's you know that it's a fun thing but that she has a, a kind of like a, a life outside of parenthood. I think it's so important and. When we we had our pre-interview just before the weekend, the long weekend, and and um, and you were talking about the importance of um, women, especially 
making some me time, me, M-E time. And I think it's really important because you really can't feel sexy with someone else if you don't feel sensual and relaxed alone. And, um, you know, me time, you got to carve it out. Maybe it's 20 minutes of yoga over a lunch break or starting your day with a 10 minute meditation to clear your mind or go on a walk. (laughs) Um, You had a client. uh, What was the example of your client to to get me time going to the hotel? Talk about that. Someone, one of my clients was actually telling me about a, a friend of hers that she takes um, 24 hours by herself and goes to a local hotel and just completely decompresses. And it's in the same town that she lives. So it's not like she's going somewhere else. It's in the same town, but that means that she can go shopping and on her own, she can go where she wants to eat, go get a glass of wine, can meet up with friends if she wants, or she can just like read a book in the hotel room or take a bath. And it's just 24 hours that she gets to herself. And she is recharging. Yes. Because so often when there's so much tension and, and uh, depression in a relationship, um, there's a, there's a loss of self. That's that brings us back to differentiation too. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because you're you're going to be doing that at your conference on the 30th of September. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of when when after kind of like the new relationship energy um, wears off, or and especially once a child is born. If there's a, um, I mean, this can happen in, in childless, um, you know, child free relationships as well, but a person loses themselves in the relationship or as like a parent, they don't really know where their self begins and the other person ends or begins. Um, they have a hard time, you know, they seeking like part of diff- the differentiation po- process is being able to kind of validate oneself, be able to soothe one soothes one's own anxiety to be able to take responsibility for oneself. And so what a lot of times happens is that like this kind of gets lost in, especially when a, a, a child is born, the, the new mother might not know um, really how to turn herself, turn herself off, not in the sense of sexually, but just like, you know, everything is that, that first, you know, few months of motherhood and being a new parent is really anxiety provoking. And so a part of kind of the you know Bowen th- and managing Bowen theory and managing anxiety can be this under and over functioning that happens where the mother is very focused on the child and is just really trying to figure it out because uh, you know every new mother people don't know how to be a new a mother right away it's it can be like it can be difficult a difficult process and the, you know, the other parent um, in a heterosexual relationship, like the father feels very left out of the process. And so there's a distancing that happens and the mother just keeps functioning and doing everything. And the father keeps not doing anything. And so there's this like over under function, kind of this pull that binds the anxiety. And so the mother doesn't feel like she can take a step down and function normal, which that would, if she could, that would give the, the, the partner a chance to kind of rise up so they get stuck and it's just like well he doesn't know what he's doing or I can't trust him or anything like that when there has not or if 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 I give him any responsibility everything will go wrong but they won't try so I think this is a good chance these 24 hours for someone you know let the other parent try like they might mess up but as long as a child doesn't get hurt it's okay well, yes, and it also gives the child more of a chance to bond with the father. Absolutely. And that's so important. I mean, um, I was grateful because my first child was born in 1976, and um, my then husband was allowed in 
the birthing room. This was at Stanford Hospital. But at that point, it had only been common for just, I think, five years. So there were so many years when the father wasn't even allowed in uh, to the birthing place. And that's changed because they, we know that if the father holds the baby right away or within minutes <laughs> uh, of, of its birth, that there's, there's more likely to be a real connection between the, the father and the child. And if he's involved with the care of the baby, then that ups his connection too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, it sure feels like a lot of juggling has to go on when the baby is new. And you're right. There's a lot that's a lot to learn. Uh, people that have been well mothered themselves are at an advantage with this um, because our parents in a good family in a, 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 a well I have to use the word attached I know that's not a Bowen thing but when 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 the child feels attached and has a secure attachment uh the child is is going is going to end up just as you said earlier uh a, a better partner later when when he or she is grown um that's so important and Whereas if the child comes out of chaos and there's no connection, uh, that often makes them a very anxious, um, maybe distant partner uh, when they're adults. Well, and, I, and, and this has been you know, shown in science, whether it's the, the Boldy monkeys or um, in more recent times, there's been... I can't, I don't know the person who did the study, but there's been rat research on, um, and vole research on, you know, mother rats being able to, like, whether they were, like, more anxious. So if the rat was born into an anxious kind of, you know, I don't want to say a, a rat colony, like, yeah. they're going, to, like, they're going to kind of, pass down that anxiety, kind of like that, that multi-generational family process. They're going to kind of pass down that anxiety. And, and, and I would like to say that like every family has a level of chronic anxiety. The, the difference, the, high, the, the more differentiated families have a better way of managing the anxiety than the lower differentiated families. But every family has their own level of chronic anxiety. Yes, and so what did you recommend, Dr. Ashley, um, for for how, how do better differentiated families deal with this anxiety? What are some of the tools? Well, I think it's about, I mean, working with, working on differentiation, I think is one of the key things with like a, a coach or someone, they call them Bowen coaches, or someone who's just familiar with differentiation and being able to work on one's own differentiation and one's own family of origin, being able to resolve that emotional attachment. That, that's where Bowen would use some attachment, that unresolved emotional attachment to your parents. Okay, yeah. That's where, that's where that, the word attachment would come in. If a person can work on that, being able to be non-reactive, it's not about being apathetic towards your family. It's about understanding your reactivity within your own family and trying to be non-reactive, trying to be neutral, trying to just observe yourself in the family. I'm not talking about being a, being a robot, but it's really about how to toggle between the emotional brain and the intellectual brain. And uh, understand you, that toggle. Yeah, uh, this is this is fascinating. The emotional brain and um, the the you said the intellectual brain. The intellectual brain. I, I like I call it like the monkey brain or the lizard brain. And yeah. The intellectual brain. Right, right, right. Um. I I, I want to go back to um, the the rats because. There, I, I remember, oh, probably 40 years ago, hearing a wonderful researcher, Dr. Virginia, I'll think of her last name in a minute, perhaps, but she'd been studying rats for some, at that point, for some 30 years. And um, 
so the the rat and the rats brains are very similar to human brains that's why they can do these studies so so the rats that had uh enriched environments with other rats to play with and little toys and all of that um when they, when that rat was killed for the experiment and their brain was looked at their brains were very much looking like jungles lots more neural pathways and all of that and the the rats that were isolated without any social interaction um their brains looked like deserts and they did not live as long and then when she went to germany to to visit with a, a rat researcher there he was growing his rats to the equivalent of 90 years old in humans. And she was only able to get her rats to 60 years. <laughs> and there was competition. But she found out that the, the rats in Germany, in, in, their, in their lab, the lab workers would pick each rat, rat up before turning out the lights and stroke the rat. Aww. Yes. Stroke your rat. It's important. Stroke your rat. Yes. <laughs> because the touch is is essential. Essential. It just essential. Absolutely. The the social support and the touching. And maybe this is a good segue into talking about why sex is so important. I mean, we haven't really gotten into that yet. Why sex is so important in this this very difficult uh, time where we're so anxious. So let's get into the nitty gritty of sex being really important. Well, I, I mean, the one thing that it does is that it does like as much as we think that I don't need one more thing on my plate. I don't need to have sex. It's it actually can relieve that stress. So the sex is important for that. And also, I mean, when we said this at the beginning, it's like it helps the immune system. Yes. And yeah, and then you you can when you're flooded, and this happens especially with orgasm, when you're flooded with oxytocin and endorphins and dopamine, dopamine. Oh, that's a good one. Dopamine is a good one. Um, my husband teases me sometimes and calls me dopamine Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I love he, that. Because we're we're often figuring out novelty for our sex life, and we've been together almost twelve years, so that's pretty good. That's we keep it go, we keep it hot by figuring out what new things we can do and maybe play out some fantasies. Uh, but you got to keep the dopamine going because dopamine is is a hormone of arousal, and it needs novelty, novelty. To, for it to be that's why new relationships of course have so much dopamine because it's new and and i think the other thing too if a, if a couple is struggling it about you know the desire like sexual desire is sometimes it's about changing up the context because i think a lot of times a couple uh it, like a woman is just like i don't understand but like they want to want their husband in a heterosexual relationship they want to want their husband and they're just like why do i not have any feelings of you know sexual desire towards this person like why like and i did like i love this person but why don't i have these feelings and it's about context because if you think about the context of new relationship energy and the dopamine but if you think about what changes of, in a relationship happens from like day one to like 10 years down the line, if there's a child, there's like different stressors, there's, you know, bodies change. And so how can a person switch up the context? You can't go back to that new relationship energy, but like bringing that novelty in, like how can that context change to make sexual desire happen yeah expanding i think the sexual repertoire incorporating new sexual activities like trying new positions sexting i don't know uh sharing uh fantasies yep and uh play, you know some people that are 
have been shy in their sexual relationship, sometimes when they're in a, a, a role, in a fantasy role, can be more expressive. It's kind of similar years ago when I was a teacher, my first job out of college, I I loved uh, having my fifth graders uh, read a story and then come up with a little improv about it and and play the characters in the book. And the shy kids sometimes got attention for the first time because they could say other person's words, but they had trouble with their own. And that was so good for their budding self-esteem. Same with adults in a sexual relationship. Playing out fantasies can keep it new and fresh. Dopamine, baby, dopamine. That I always suggest to couples, and in a way, this is to me, this can be like a very free, free sensate focus. Yeah, having sexy time, I call it sexy time, and and the couple can define sexy time how they would like. So, if sexy time means you know sexual intimacy, great, they can have that, but if it means reading erotica to each other, watching a sex sexually explicit film talking about sex, um, playing a sexy game, um, watching something. There's like some interesting stuff on, um, you know, Netflix around sexuality. And, and, and so as long as they, cause a lot of times some couples that I work with are so afraid of sex. Like there's so much um, like negative emotions built up around it that I kind of start from baby steps and just like, okay, let's just have some sexy time. Um, and just get kind of sex back to something that you're thinking about and talking about and starting there. So what, where might you help the couple start? Cause they're, they're going to start well, tell, talk about where they might start a couple that has maybe been in a sexless relationship for some time. So sometimes, again, like that's why I'll be like, okay, um, you know, make a date. Um, I sometimes start like as simple as date night, but also, you know, watching, because sometimes like jumping off the deep end into a sexual relationship again is something that like, they might definitely enjoy, but they might not be ready for it. Um, mm. It's almost like jumping in the pool and not knowing whether there's water, crocodiles, or no water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I might say, like, why don't we, why don't you all, um, you know, go on a date night or do something, like, even something, this is kind of like the beginning of Sensate Focus, like, can you do topless cuddling or like partially naked cuddling if you're not ready for anything um too sexual yet or is there a sexual um explicit film that you would like to watch or is there can you talk about desires um that's where the games can help launch a conversation yes a sexy game something like that um i always like because i not everyone starts at the same place. Like there's a, a Netflix show that I like to watch. Um, well, two of them. One is called Sex Education and the mm-hmm. other one's called How to Build a Sex Room. And- Oh, I have, is, I've heard of the first, but not the second. How to Build a Sex Room is great. It's more of a um, reality show of someone who builds sex rooms. It's quite lovely, uh, but- it has actually helped a lot of my clients. They'll watch an episode of that and mm-hmm. they talk about sex. And these are couples that don't normally, they might not be very sexually engaged for whatever reason, but that starts it and it can build from there. I'm not saying that they're out building their own sex room, <laughs> but it makes them more interested in sex. Yeah, And they talk about it and sometimes because I have clients that are so uncomfortable talking about sex because of whether it's the religion, like they grew up in a religious household. So sex was like taboo, just getting them to talk and having some comfort around it. It's sometimes my baseline of starting. So watching something like that, then being able to talk about what they want them because like some of these sex rooms are, you know, there's some kinkiness into them. I'm like, Oh, they might be like, actually I'm interested in that, but not that. So it just starts that conversation 
and gets them more excited about engaging with each other in, in sexual situations. So you're actually building the tension. And I think it's important when you're, when couples, geez, you know, a lot of couples have trouble talking about sex. And of course, you know, this as a sex therapist, I know this, uh, the, uh, um, Desire discrepancies, mismatched, also known as mismatched libido, are the top reasons why couples come to see us. Um, isn't that your experience? Top, yes, top and, yes. And so, sexual desire is one of the hardest things to treat, especially it, for um, women. Exactly. So, um, you know, it, it takes really good communication to address the issue, but. What's so interesting is we tend to talk the least about sex to the person we're actually having sex with. <laughs> I see this, you know, they really stumble over talking about sex. I mean, here, if they're heterosexual couple, when during intercourse, his penis in your vagina, I mean, I don't know how you can get more close than that. <laughs> yeah, like if you, it, but it's interesting that they can, some couples can, you know, do like have sex have intercourse you know the dual but like talking about it saying like you know like you know you know his penis is in your vagina like it's almost like they can't think about that it's it's they don't want to talk about it they get shy they get shy that's right it can help you know to the baby steps i think can help with sharing the good stuff first you know we always get more of what we appreciate we we do so you got to start off by telling your partner what you appreciate about your sex life or have in the past, right? Yes. So um, you can tell them how you want to do more of that thing that you're doing or, or that you want more of that feeling. Uh, you know, for example, uh, she might say, Oh, I really like how we used to take showers together. I'd love to do more of that. Yeah. So really important to talk it out. And, and I think the other thing too for um, women, especially, or 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 people with you know vulvas and vaginas, is that masturbate. Oh yes. Like know what you want. I one of my really good friends. Um, had never had an orgasm for the longest time. And mm -hmm. I just thought this was just, you know, I, I would be like, well, okay, like, how can we get you there? Like, you know, like, do you need to like toys? Like, and she is very open about sex. And she finally has a new partner. And she's had her first, like, because she thought she was broken for the yeah. longest time. But with this new partner, she's like, no this person's great. I've been like, and, and being able to like communicate, like, cause I think the other thing too, if like, you know, if you understand what you want sexually, what feels good, a person can communicate that more with your right. partner, like being able to be comfortable with your own. This is where I think the, the, the old school getting that hand mirror and looking at yourself comes in very handy, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um, Betty Dotson, yes. rest in peace, Betty Dotson. Uh, <clears throat> I actually had Betty Dotson on this show back in 2010. So it was the first year I was doing this show, something like that, I think 2010. Anyway, and I knew her a bit. Um, I went to her apartment, which was, uh, I did not participate though in her women's groups. Some sex therapists have done this. It was a little too much for me, but I so appreciate what she was doing. And it certainly has helped a number of women learn to have orgasms. So they would sit in a circle at Betty Dotson's and Betty Dotson, by the way, listeners, if you don't know her name, um, she, she made a huge difference in, in our orgasmic lives as women, because she taught women how to masturbate using the Hadachi vibrators. And, but the first thing that these women get naked in a circle in her apartment, which was close to uh, the Empire State Building, I remember. Um, but to, to take a mirror and look at their 
their vulvas, their vaginas, their clitorises, and to really look at them and and to look around the circle and find that other women didn't look like they did, that each vulva is different. And, and Betty Dotson, being a fine artist too, has beautiful drawings in her books. I'm yep. thinking about sex for one yep. and beautiful drawings of, of all the different shapes and sizes of just like penises, different, different shapes and all of that and sizes. So that was really very uh, opening for lots of women because to have an orgasm, you really have to be in the moment and breathing and surrendering. And if there's sexual trauma in the, the woman's background, well, then that has to be dealt with in therapy too, because I co-led two women's groups with Dr. Maria Flaherty for a almost seven years. And this was when I was in the Bay Area. Uh, so this was many years ago. Uh, and the women had had the sexual trauma and it was very hard for them to get some of those images out of their heads. And it's very likely that that uh, we, we are more anxious and depressed because our amygdala, the fear center of our brain got overwired when uh, when we were uh, vulnerable and smaller and being sexually abused. Um, do you buy into that theory about the amygdala getting overwired and so depression and anxiety is more likely? Absolutely. And I, and I, something else that I like to add to um, what I've noticed with certain families that I've worked with is that that kind of trauma um, can be found in the multi-generational family process. Like certain, like I've, I've worked with individuals where the, the mother got sexually assaulted at a certain age and then the, like, and the daughter then did, but they didn't even know about it with each other. Yes. Yes. I, I find that I, I, so I think it's just important for if there's, especially when, when I first see a client, I always find a sexual history extremely important, but I also take a family diagram and I, and that's something that that was that's a Bowen concept. He always took family diagrams, but I add a different layer when I do a sexual history, when I'm talking about family and how a person learned about sex. Did they grow up in a super religious household where sex was taboo? Was sex talked about? What was the, you know, and obviously like trauma and getting that, um, if they're, they're, that happened. Um, but I think all of that history affects a person and can change like it, I mean it's that anxiety can change a, a person how a person responds to different situations especially sexual trauma yeah because they're very protective typically uh they've also been hyper vigilant uh, they grow up being hyper vigilant looking you know wondering when is the next bad thing going to happen yep it's very hard to relax and we know that to be to have really good sex, you have to relax and be in the yeah. moment and realize that sex is play. There's no better way to play. And maybe with sex toys, we should mention sex toys. Sex toys are adult toys and what great dimensions they can add to any sex life. Absolutely. I, I think not only just like, you know, sex toys, like to play and but I think being playful in general can be mm, helpful. Yes. Like there's that can loosen up a a tense dynamic in um in animals. Like some animals play. Like someone I don't know whether that was I don't know if we were talking about this or I was talking about someone else with someone else about this. But they saw a um, crow um, get a little lid and drag it up to the roof of the house and slide down on it and then drag it back up and slide down. That crow <laughs> is playing. Animals yes. play. Crows are, are known to be uh, <clears throat> smarter than many birds. Absolutely. I, 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 so I, and I see squirrels, like when I'm standing out, like sitting outside, I have lots of trees. The squirrels are playing. They're chasing each other around. Um, you know, you see like otters if you go to the zoo. No, they're very playful. Very playful. Um, you know, if you, 
I grew up in the Midwest, so cow pastures were, I mean, there's cow pastures where I live now, but like these are like, you know, Midwest there. And you would see the baby calves like bucking up and down and playing and animals play. And I think, and I think as adults, we kind of lose that. So using play for whatever, like in other ways, but also like, you know, sexuality is a great way to express that type of play. Absolutely. And we, um, we, we lose it in part because the people who are trying to be sexual, now I'm thinking of a guy who has premature ejaculation and he's got tons of performance anxiety, performance anxiety, and thinks, well, I've got a job to do here. And my job to do here is to have intercourse with my partner and not ejaculate too soon. And that's the job. Well, you know, that can pretty much uh, negate any playful activity where you can be relaxed and laughing and realizing that sex doesn't have to have a beginning, a middle and an end that, and it doesn't have to be intercourse. You know, you touched on this briefly before. And, and of course, you, you know, and I, I think you, you may, you told me you may be sharing some of this with the audience the um, the sensate focus, the uh, full body caressing exercises that I talk about in my book in chapter four on using touch to reduce stress. It's so important for couples to realize that they can have non-penetrative sex and really enjoy it. Absolutely. That touch is so important. And just, you know, if a, just getting naked together and holding each other. You know, that's something I've been saying for years. Uh, you, you and I both specialize in aging and sexuality. And so in, with, with many of my uh, older couples and seeing them, and especially if they've been sexless for a number of years and they want to try to get back on track, I say at the very least, you must lie naked with your partner. Yeah. Maybe before you go to sleep, but just lie naked caress each other. Um, I uh, am very happy to report that I have a 95-year-old friend who is very bright and very, uh, very, very much a whole kind of man. His feminine side is well-developed. His, that is to say, his anima. His masculine side is animus. He's a very intellectual man and a sensual man, too. Anyway, I sent him and his partner my book right after it was published and they got right to it, practicing stage one and two. And he emailed me back saying in all of his many years, he never realized how much enjoyment he could have from being touched apart from his genitals. He always thought he had to go right to the genitals. So this was a, he said, I wished I'd had your book 60 years ago, at least. (laughs) (laughs) and so it's never too late to it's harder to make changes when you're older it's harder to make changes to get back to to our topic when we are living in such anxious times it's hard it's hard to get back to sex but we should do it and we should do it by starting with uh non-penetrative forms of sexuality touching Face, hands, feet, yep, all of those things. It's basically an erotic massage, right? Absolutely. And I think what happens with a lot of couples is that, especially if you've been together for a long time, is that you have shrunk down your sexual repertoire into like something that fits in this box. This works. This gets us off. And it's about the goal. It becomes goal-oriented rather than this pleasure-oriented journey where you like comes in waves and you're just like enjoying each other it's like it's almost like let's just get this done and like and there's nothing wrong with a quickie nothing's wrong with that no it's yeah as long as you have longer sex on occasion absolutely and i so if having more of those more of that to enjoy like i think that is so important to have um because i think so many people just want to 
I don't want to say get in and get out, but just like, and just like, but actually enjoy. Cause, and I think that's why then couples then start losing, you know, losing that. Like, well, well, I, it's just this, I'm like, no, make it more, make it this huge thing, make it a, I'm going to use this term, make it a tasting menu, not a fast food restaurant. No, I think food is often used in analogous ways with sex. And exactly right. We we occasionally can get away with having fast food and it might be, you know, efficient. And and for the moment, the context, it's it's what's required. But if we don't have the gourmet, the a feasting, uh, the one or two hour sexual play on occasion where we're really connecting and feeling each other and breathing together and having orgasms together. And, or I shouldn't say that because that puts pressure on a lot of people. They think they need to have, they need to reach orgasm together. And actually that's not, I don't think it makes it too goal oriented to go back to what you just said. Yeah. The other thing too, and I think this come, goes in with like the differentiation and sex is being able to tell your partner what you want um, and what you don't want. Um, being able to say, you know, I think there's even some, you know, individuals that feel guilty about not wanting sex. So they always just say, okay. And, and that is part of differentiation saying like, no, I don't want to have sex right now. And being okay, like, knowing that like it's okay not to want and it's okay to want Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing too is and we didn't like like touch on this is that if someone's experiencing sexual pain so so many people experience sexual pain and don't say anything and i think that's because they want to you know they're people pleasing um partner pleasing and being able to say i'm experiencing sexual pain and being able to get help around like all all that to me, all of that can be part of the differentiation process around, um, I mean, it's just also empowering to be able to, you know, show up for yourself in different situations. It's about showing up for self. That's how I look at it. Showing up for yourself. I like that. Um, yeah, the whole sexual pain and having, and for some women, that's, that's actually a full-blown vaginismus where Absolutely. it develops into that and it, where her uh saying this for our listening audience her vaginal opening contracts so rapidly that penetration isn't even possible it may show up when the girl is um still a girl a teenager and uh maybe she can't even get a tampon in yeah and so this this requires a specialized therapy um but we have to be aware of sexual pain and we have to be able to speak up because you want to equate sex with pleasure and orgasms and connection and having a good time and relieving stress and none of that's going to happen if you're in pain (laughs) absolutely and i think the other thing that i you know hear especially with clients that's had you mentioned like premature ejaculation is if you are trying to, if someone, a couple is trying for a baby, mm. don't make it a special thing. Cause I've heard a lot of, um, uh, men talk about how it felt very performative. Like I'm just supposed to, you know, this is ovulation happens, sex happens, baby, like very like goal oriented. Yeah. And there needs, and that I've heard that's triggered premature ejaculation for some men. Mm-hmm. And I know like, you know, yes, you know, ovulation is important to get pregnant. Like that's, you know, reproductive biology 101. However, can a person make it more of a sensual experience, not just like, let's get this done? Yes. Couples that have, have struggled with infertility issues, um, often are, get kind of worn out with the whole performative thing. Oh, we've got them. It's got to do it right now because I'm ovulating. Come on. And and there's not much romance around that. Yeah. Um, It it feels, you know, in some ways, like, I don't know whether men would say this, but I don't know that like, maybe it feels more objectifying to them 
or that like I don't know that but I know it, it can be it that can be a mood killer when it can be something that a person can really enjoy and make it a fun experience but yeah for I mean and fertility issues I mean that's a whole thing of like an anxious times that a person can get into yeah but you're not just to go back to uh, your parenting during anxious times the uh, the conference and I see that you can get CEs these are continuing education yes uh, and I I really want to sign up for this this looks so good but can't do it until I find out if because yep. my son is getting married the day of this September 30th. And of course, I can't do that. Uh, go to parenting during anxious times because <laughs> I'm going to be in a joyful time. Yep. My darling son marrying this beautiful woman who is so perfect. They're perfect for each other. They're just, oh, I'm waxing, you know, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, talk a little bit more about uh, the conference. Um, I'm looking at the flyer now, and it, it, I see that the first one is a description of parenting through the lens of the nuclear family emotional system and the effects of anxiety and family functioning. And that's John Milken, Dr. Yeah. John Milken. I know about him. Oh. I, I think. He, I mean, he's local to kind of the D.C. area or Virginia area. Yeah. But I've been in this profession for 40 years, so maybe it's just a familiar name. Yeah. Uh, but you have some really good, um, like, here's something maybe you could let us in on a little bit. Parenting during uh, anxious times, why the family system matters. What? Yes. So can you talk uh, just a little bit about that as yeah. we wind up the show. Our family system is like our families of origin and how a family system responds to anxiety, acute or chronic, can affect how, uh, like, you know, we, like how my family responds to anxiety or has in the past affects how I cope with anxiety now. So being able to manage that anxiety in one's own family system a lot of times a person thinks like, well, if I just cut off from them, they're the ones that make it, they're making me anxious. I'm just going to mm -hmm. cut off. You're just transferring that to someone else. You're going to transfer that. That's going to come to play in your own partnerships and maybe friendships. Um, but anxiety, as I said, we all have it. You might as well become friends with it. So understanding how the family system works and how everyone's family system has coped with anxiety can help a person understand how they're parenting and kind of what not to do and what to do more of and what are they doing out of anxiety rather than anxiety and lizard brain rather than like a rational intellectual brain and understanding that and understanding that family history and that takes that can take a lot of emotional work between the couple and 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 I think uh, I mean, you and I are perhaps both biased about this, but working with a therapist, a qualified therapist, can really make a difference because this is hard emotional work to change. Absolutely. And to to get these um, new ideas and 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 into practice in into practice. So. Um, are are you going to be going directly to because you're you live in the Boston area so are you going directly to DC for this I'm actually going to be doing it from the comfort of my own home I live in Western oh. Massachusetts because it's on zoom I oh that's right I can yeah eventually I think we're going to have more conferences in person um but for now this one is going to be online yes it actually reaches more people that way of course it does and before I write my show notes, you're going to try to, um, I have a client in an hour after from now, but um, you're going to try to let me know um, if if people can, I hope, I hope they can, because I really want to hear this and I'll, uh, I'll let listeners know in my show notes if they can do that. So dealing with anxiety in these times, 
And I think the thing is, we don't want to leave our sexual selves behind. Um, you know, we, we, there's so much good that can come of, of, of tapping into our sexual self and enjoying it with a partner if we're lucky enough to have a partner. Absolutely. It's yes. It's important to be able yeah. to tap into that, whether it is with a partner or with yourself. Or with yourself. And that's where masturbation can come in. And studies have shown that uh, having an orgasm and getting all those good hormones going are almost as good with masturbation in terms of your health benefits as with a partner. You get a little more oxytocin going with a partner, apparently, some study found. But it's still good for you. It's good for your body. That's also, by the way, the where sex toys can come in. Exactly. Yes. Well, Dr. Ashley, I'm going to have you back for sure. Um, the, the last two shows we've done have been so interesting. And I think you're such an accomplished, sensitive, uh, fun, can be fun kind of therapist, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I really enjoy having you on as a guest and We'll do it again, Yes, Ashley. it's always a joy to be on your show. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And so we'll sign off wishing you all good, good times together, especially sexual times. And it'll overcome anxiety. So if you're really playing together, it's a good thing. Bye-bye, everybody. My